Hi, my name's Sam Lamy, um, and if you can't tell by my disheveled appearance um, and my voice, I'm pretty sick at the moment. Um, and when, when I feel sick, it's like you feel really self-conscious because you feel like you're, um, your uh, sick person's breath is like kind of traveling through the microphone and like through the speakers and whatever. Um, but by the grace of God, we shall get through tonight. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, so my name's Sam. Um, I'm currently doing my internship with um, the South Australian Ambulance Service, um, and hopefully I'll be a paramedic soon. Um, and that's just a few fun facts about me. Um, and I thought before we just jump into the Word, um, we, could, we could pray. Um, so if you'd join me and just bow your heads, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll pray. Uh, yeah, Lord Jesus, um, I just thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for um, bringing everyone here um, I thank you for all your blessings that you've poured out on us. Um, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made us righteous. Um, and not by anything that we have done, um, but solely by what Jesus has done on the cross. So I thank you for that, Lord. Um, I praise you for that. And Father, I just pray that you would um, just reveal your marvelous love to us tonight. Um, and I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so over the past couple of... Um, of weeks, we've been looking at uh, the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is all about providing um, a foundation um, for our faith. It's about kind of explaining those things which are um, at the core of, of the Christian faith. Um, and before we um, jump in, I want to give you a quick snapshot um, of our um, lives here in the, in, in the Adelaide Hills. Because um, we live in such like a time of such great wealth, um, and it takes a little time um, and little effort to actually um, fulfill our basic needs. Like we can go um, down to Woolies and get a roast chicken for ten bucks, whereas in you know a hundred years ago, you were lucky if you were eating any kind of meat at all. Um, or how about our physical need for warmth? You know, so we don't freeze to death. You know, we got things like heaters. Um, double glazed windows, aircon, um, what else? Hot showers, etc. And you know it's easy to fulfil that need. Um, but the irony is that um, despite such physical fulfilment, um, everyone is still afflicted. Like we're still afflicted, um, and you can clearly see this um, in the increase of like mental health disorders. Um, so the Department of Health estimates that 45% of Australians have a a mental health disorder, either diagnosed or undiagnosed. 45%, that's nearly half, half the people in this room. Um, and you know that's like an anxiety disorder, it could be, could be a substance use disorder, uh, could be a personality disorder or any other kind of disorder. Um, and I haven't worked for the ambulance service for a long time, but already I can see how the healthcare system is failing mental health patients. Um, you know, when we go to a, a mental health patient, um, all we basically do is try and convince them to come to hospital. And we basically say, like, you know, come to hospital and get some medication. And that's it, really. And med mental health patients are, like, kind of handballed from, you know, one department of the healthcare system to another. And they're never actually really helped. So despite such kind of physical fulfilment, um, people are still afflicted. And, you know, you're afflicted, you're afflicted, you're afflicted. And God only knows why you're afflicted. It could be because you're too short um, or you're too fat or you're too thin. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your head is too big. 
Um, or maybe, you know, you're, it's because your great-grandparent was, you know, lower class, which is likely because almost everybody's great-grandparent was. Or maybe you're not as smart as you could be, um, and you've got a sick relative, um, and you've got your own physical ailments, and it's like, frankly, you're a mess. Um, and if you think we've got problems, that's just us comparatively rich folk in the Adelaide Hills. I mean, consider our situation compared to the situation of people in like, I don't know, like Somalia or places like Indonesia or Venezuela, um, let alone the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Um, sorry, if you're, from, if you're from the north, I'm not... I'm not <laughs> and on top of all that, and that's not, that's not it, because on top of all that, we live in a society of works where you have to prove yourself by your works. Like, if you want money, you've got to work for it. And if you want um, a good house, you've got to work for it. Um, and if you want a good job, you've got to prove yourself, you know, by your resume. Um, and this mentality of works not only extends um, to, like, things like jobs and, and money and stuff like that, but actually extends to, um, like, intimate personal relationships. And, um, oh, I forgot to do this before, but most of us would have heard of Jordan Peterson... Give me a second. Oh, that's my keys. Oh, where's my clicker gone? There it is. Beauty. Um, yeah, most of us would have um, heard of Jordan Peterson um, in the media, um, and, and, and most of us probably would have read his book, The Twelve Rules for Life. Um, and if not, he and his ideas are currently very, very popular. Um, if you've been living under a rock, you won't know that. Um, <laughs> If you've been living under a rock like a lobster, you won't know that. Um, and his ideas, Jordan Peterson's ideas, are what you would call popular psychology. Um, and that, those like, are theories or concepts um, which are purportedly based on psychology um, that find acceptance within the general populace. Does that make sense? Um, but in the first chapter of 12 Rules for Life... Um, he likens human relationships to lobsters. And he says this, and I'll quote, It doesn't take that long before lobsters, testing each other out, learn who can be messed with and who should be given a wide berth. And once they have learned, the resultant hierarchy is exceedingly stable. All a victor needs to do once he is one is wiggle his antenna in a threatening matter, uh, manner and a previous opponent will vanish in a puff of sand before him. A weaker lobster will quit trying, accept his lowly status, and keep his legs attached to his body. The top lobster, by contrast, occupying the best shelter, getting some good rest, and finishing a good meal, parades his dominance around his territory, rousing subordinate lobsters from their shelters at night, just to remind them who's their daddy. And <laughs> the female lobsters identify the top guy quickly, and become irresistibly attracted to him. This is brilliant strategy in my estimation. It's also one used by females of many different species, including humans. And that's the narrative of the world. And if you're a woman, I'm sorry you had to hear that. But that's the narrative of the world. Um, you know, love is not spiritual. It's biological. And if you want a sexual partner, you've got to prove yourself. You've got to be the top lobster. And, you know, it's no wonder... It's no wonder there are so many relational issues, so many relationship issues, and there's no wonder so many people are afraid of relationships. 
And let's not stop there. Let's expound on this idea a little more. Because if you had lived like hundreds of years ago, a couple hundred years ago, uh, you would have lived in the same um, village all your life and done the same job all your life. Um, And if your father was a shoemaker, you yourself were probably a shoemaker. Um, But what if you didn't want to be a shoemaker? Well, your father would probably say something like, that's too bad. We live here in this village, we're shoemakers, um, and that's just what we do. Um, So much so that I'm willing to bet that most of us still bear occupational last names, things like Smith or Blacker or uh, Miller or things like that. In those days, you were born into a family and that family gave you a role and a set of responsibilities that went along with that role. And if you carried out the responsibilities of that role, you were judged good, you were given honour, you were justified in the eyes of your family and of your people group. And if you did not, you were judged bad. Uh, You were judged shameful. And you were not justified in the eyes of your family and of your people group. You had to justify yourself by your works. And in modern Western society, it's changed. See, we think that we are liberated from this, from this uh, more traditional way of life. See, modern society absolutely rejects the idea that um, someone else can give you a role. And it says basically that what you feel inside, that's your identity. And the great sociologist Robert Bella um, expressed this in his book, which is called um, The Habits of the Heart. Um, And he said, We do not discover who we are by fulfilling our role to the community or to the family. Rather, each person has a unique core feeling that must unfold or be expressed if individual identity is to be realized. Or in other words, no one can name you, you must name yourself. No one can give you an identity, you have to look inside, whatever that means, find your deepest desires and then express that. You need to discover your authentic self and be that. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Whoops, sorry. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. Or how about this from The Sound of Music? Climb every mountain. Ford every stream. Follow every rainbow until you find your dream. And that's a song telling a woman to leave the convent, leave the community, leave her vows that she made, go and find who you are. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to challenge you with an idea, because most people think this is liberating. But is it really? See, the thing is, is that you still actually have to prove yourself. Once you've found this identity, you have to live up to it. And you still have to justify yourself by your works. And the only difference is, is who you're justifying yourself to. That being yourself. Does that make sense? So traditional societies say that you have to justify yourself by your works to the rest of society, whereas our modern Western society says that you have to justify yourself 
by your works to yourself. Everyone's trying to justify themselves these days. And doesn't the world we live in just tire you out? I don't know about you, but I just want to go to bed right now. <laughs> um, but, Paul, but stop and take a deep breath because Paul actually has um, a great message for us. Um, and as we're going to find out in Romans 4, which we haven't even read yet, well, uh, we're going to find out that Paul wants us to have hope against all hope, as he puts it. He wants us to know that we are not justified by works, but by faith. Uh, and we're going to get into what that means. So if you've got a Bible, um, open up the Romans 4. Um, I'll be starting with verses 1 to 8, and we'll kind of go from there, if you're okay with that. So that's Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 8. It says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if, uh, for if, Abraham, oh, sorry, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. And that brings us to our first point, not that, that we are justified by faith. See, in contrast to those two views which I offered you before, the traditional kind of way and the modern kind of way, um, Christianity actually offers a unique third way of being justified. Uh, and in verses 1 to 8, Paul lays out for us this doctrine of justification. Um, and I can see a bunch of you, your eyes just glazed over when I said doctrine, um, but that's okay. We'll break it down uh, real easy. See, the traditional understanding of um, justification um, being made right with God was that God is a boss, and if I do X, Y, Z... God will be in my debt, uh, and he will have to bless me. And this is what Paul means when he says that if Abraham was justified by works, then he would have something to boast about. Is that me? not a good sermon without a few technological issues. Yeah, so this is what Paul means when he says, if Abraham was justified by works, then he would have something to boast about. And Paul goes on to say that if God is your boss, your wages aren't a gift, but they're what are owed to you. And he says that in verse 4. But the thing is, and this is all of what we've um, been learning over the past couple of weeks, um, is that you cannot put God in your debt. Um, by the very fact that he is God uh, and he is infinitely above you, 
He is not lacking anything that you could give him that would put him in your debt. Does that make sense? And all throughout these verses, Paul uses the story of Abraham in Genesis 15 as our case study for being justified by faith. So Abraham um, was married to Sarah, um, and they had struggled for many years, as many couples do, with infertility. But the difference between Abraham and Sarah is that they had received an audible promise from God. And in Genesis 12, if you want to read it, it's up to you. But in Genesis 12, God came down to Abraham and actually spoke to him um, and said, You will be the father of many nations, and you will be that father through Sarah, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Um, But then many years pass. And we come to Genesis 15, and Abraham and Sarah are still childless. Uh, And Abraham is completely sterile. It says that he considered his body good as dead. Um, And Sarah has gone through menopause, and God appears to Abraham again. And Abraham says to God, do you remember me? Uh, I don't have any children yet. Do you remember the promise that you made to me years and years ago? And God basically says, look at the stars. I promise that your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And then it says in Genesis 15, 6, um, and this is what Romans 4 is quoting. It says that Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And this, if you don't take anything away tonight, take away this, that this is the basis of Christian faith. You cannot do anything to put God in your debt. In fact, it's pride to say that you can. And you cannot be put in a right relationship with God by your works, by the things you do. You cannot be justified by your works. And Christianity is a reversal of what the traditional societies teach and what modern Western societies teach, which say you can be justified by your works. Christianity says this, that God smiles at sinners. Or as it says in our verses, it says uh, in in verse 5, God justifies the ungodly. And before we do anything that could be put on a spiritual resume, God justifies us. He accepts us. He declares us as righteous. uh, And he puts us at peace with him. And Abraham is, is exhibit A for this justification by faith. And that brings us to our next set of verses, 9 to 15. I'm not going to read all of them. I don't have time to kind of go into all of them. Um, I kind of just have to stick to a bit of a topic here. Um, but as it says, it says, Is this blessedness, is being justified only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And that brings me to my next point, point two, which is that we are justified before works. Or to put it another way, um, we are justified before we actually do anything um, that we could put on a spiritual resume. And what Paul is saying is basically that God made Abraham righteous before 
God gave Abraham any laws. There you go. And the basic logic is that Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. And as you can see in Genesis 15, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's in Genesis 17 that he receives any law. It's the first time he receives a law. And that law is the law of circumcision. So Abraham was credited as righteous in Genesis 15 before he received the law of circumcision in Genesis 17. And if you don't know what circumcision is, it's basically where they chop off the foreskin from the penis. And to put it into a neat little equation, here you go. Right living does not result in righteousness. You have to be righteous first before you can live right. And if we, continue, um, if we continue on in our verses, it says of circumcision that Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So it was a seal. It was like a, um, a physical representation of what he already had, the righteousness that he already had. And through physical circumcision we understand a greater spiritual truth um, that every part of us, even the intimate, hidden parts, belong to God and are being made righteous. So Abraham was made righteous before he received the law. But even more stunning is the fact that Abraham was made righteous after he had sinned. And see, in Genesis 12... And we're going back a little bit. I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, and thanks for staying on track. But yeah, in Genesis 12, uh, Abraham and Sarah are in Egypt. Uh, and they're in proximity to some very powerful people, uh, including uh, the Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt. Uh, and Abraham basically pulls his wife aside um, because Abraham knows that she is beautiful, you know, that she is lovely, desirable. Um, and he knows that the men of Egypt are going to want her. Um, and that they'll have to go through him to get to her. Uh, and he's scared. And so he says to her, um, I'm your husband uh, and I'm afraid. Whoops. And I'm afraid that they're going to come after me to get you. So tell them that you're my sister instead of telling them you're my wife. Uh, and she follows through. And basically what happens is an absolute train wreck. Um, and, but here's the thing, this is the thing, is that instead of protecting her like a good husband should, he protects himself by throwing her under the bus. And it's after this major failing that God credits to Abraham righteousness and says, you are blameless in my sight. And there you go, there's the equation. And one of the most encouraging things about the Bible uh, is that the people God seems to favor and the people that God seems to use in the most remarkable way sorry, are the messy people. I'm just going to sort this out because it's driving me absolutely nuts. All right, let's see if that works. 
Yeah, so that's one of the most encouraging things about the Bible is, um, yeah, that it, the people that God favors um, are, are the messy people, and the people that God wants to use are the messy people. Um, and you not only have Abraham who threw his wife under the bus, you have, um, you know, Jacob who's a pathological liar, um, and you can read their stories in your own time. Um, and Jacob becomes the father of 12 tribes. Um, and you have Joseph, who is arrogant and who's sold into slavery. Um, and he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And then you have Moses, who had a speech impediment and also had a pretty bad temper issue. And you have David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. Or in the New Testament, you have Peter. And Peter was a coward and sometimes he was pretty racist. Why does God put people like that in the scripture? It's so we can know that if there is hope for them, uh, there's hope for us. And God, in fact, does justify the wicked. He justifies us. And that's why Paul goes, goes on to say uh, in the next couple of verses, he says, um, and we're skipping a little bit, but that's okay. He goes on to say, Abraham is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. In order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Or in other words, just as God credits righteousness to Abraham because he believed, so he can do the same with us. Uh, and that's the good news. But then that brings us, finally, to, to another question. It's, but what is it that we are supposed to believe to be righteous before God? And that brings me to my third point, actually, which is that we are <clears throat> excuse me, justif justified by Jesus. And Romans 4, our verses, says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And all this time, Romans 4 has been alluding again and again and again to this story in Genesis 15. And if we take a better look um, at this story, it reveals something absolutely remarkable. And it says that the word of the Lord, and this is reading from Genesis 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
And firstly, and most importantly, um, what it says is that Abraham believed the Lord. It doesn't say that he believed in the Lord. And this is significant because you can believe in the Lord, but not believe the Lord. Or to put it in other words, like you can believe that God is real and exists, but not take a hold of the promises. But Abraham has based his life on the promises. And that's why his faith is credited as righteousness. But secondly, if we continue on in Genesis 15, we read this. And these are verses 7 to 18. We read this. God also said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, wherever that is, to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And Abraham, so Abraham says, how can I know? And then God does something absolutely remarkable. And the Lord says to him, Bring me a heifer, which is a cow, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And for us, it's like, well, what the hell is going on there? You know, like, why the hell does God tell him to grab some animals and then, you know, Abraham cuts the animals and lays them out like this? Well, the reason we find that so difficult to understand is simply because we weren't around then um, and we're not from that time. Um, and one of the funny things I find about it is that, you know, God doesn't even say, you know, cut the animals and do this. He just says, bring them. And then Abraham knows exactly what to do with them. Um, so, but we're going to, like, investigate what's going on there. See, when you go to a wedding, right, uh, vows are made. Um, but what if the bride or groom says to the other, oh, how do I know you will love me in sickness and health until death do us part? And you say, oh, I'll sign. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> because in our culture, in our culture, which is a written culture, when you sign and you break your oath, there's consequences. But Abraham lived not in a written culture. He lived in an oral storytelling culture. And therefore, when a contract was made and someone said, how do I know you'll fulfill this con contract? They would sign the contract, and not with a pen, but they would sign it by acting out the consequences of unfaithfulness. And so the signee, the person signing, would take animals and lay them out uh, and then walk in between them, like this demonstration, as if to say, you know, as if to say, may I be torn into pieces, may I be cut up like this if I do not fulfill everything that I've said I will fulfill. So when God told Abraham to bring the animals, he immediately knew what was going on. He and God were writing a contract. Um, but boy, oh boy, he would not have expected what happened next. Because it says in verse 12 that, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Abraham falls into a deep sleep because he is waiting to be called to walk between the pieces. 
He is basically waiting um, for God to say, you know, I'm, I'm your master, and if you don't fulfill the promises of the co- covenant, then I'm going to tear you to pieces, Abraham. That's what he was waiting for. But it says that when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared. Now, nobody knows exactly how to translate the words for smoking firepot and blazing torch, but here's what we do know that these are the same words used to describe God, um, the presence of God. When God comes onto the mountain um, in front of Elijah and God shows up as a pillar of fire, these words describe the presence of God. So God appeared before Abraham. And it's not just this God appearing that, is, uh, that astonished Abraham. No, it's what God does. See, in verse 17, it says that God passes between the animal pieces. And this is the gospel. And if you haven't picked it up already, um, there's no shame in that, but I'll just explain it. Do you know what God is saying to Abraham? And do you know what God is saying to you? He is saying that I promise to bless you. I promise to be your God And I promise to bring salvation to the world. And if I do not do what I say, may I be cut off. May I be torn to pieces. But you know, the most amazing thing is that God walks through the pieces alone. He doesn't say, now you do it as well, Abraham. This is absolutely unique and stunning. Because we know from historical and archaeological studies, we know this. Uh, that whenever a king would enter a covenant relationship like this with a lesser king, a servant king, either both would pass through the pieces or the lesser king would, but never the greater king alone. So God essentially is saying, I will take on the consequences of sin for the both of us. May I be torn to pieces if I do not fulfill my part of the bargain, but also, may I be torn to pieces if you do not do yours. So God is saying to Abraham, I will bless you even if it means that I will have to die. God passing through these animal pieces is the promise of Jesus. And it says in Mark fifteen thirty three that at noon darkness came over the whole land until the afternoon, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus on the cross cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it says that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was put onto him. And by his stripes, whips, we are healed. And if we jump back into Romans 4, 23 to 24, this is exactly what it's saying to us. It says this, The words, it was credited to him, were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And Jesus is asked in John 6, what must we do to do the works of God? Or in other words, what must we do to be justified? And Jesus' answer isn't, you've got to fast, you've got to pray, you've got to 
um, give 10% to the church, blah, blah, blah. No, his answer is the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's to believe in Jesus. That's the work. And so if we believe that Jesus has taken our sin, we will be declared righteous before God. And that is the essence of these verses. Um, And so the band can come up. I'm just going to pray quickly. (laughs) I'm going to pray real quick. Yeah, Jesus, I just thank you, Father, um, for this day again. Um, And I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, for your word and for what your word says, Lord, um, that it says that we're, you know, we're not just lobsters um, who are trying to compete with one another for, um, uh, for a house, for money, for whatever else, but that we are actually spiritual beings, Lord Jesus, um, and that we, yeah, Lord Jesus, that we have sinned and we have fallen short like Abraham has, um, but Lord, that you have declared us righteous. Um, And you've declared us righteous, not because of anything that we've done, Lord, but solely because of what Jesus has done, that he took our sins on the cross, Lord. I just want to thank you for this, Father. I just want to praise you again and again and again and again and again for it, Lord Jesus. So I just thank you, Father. Um, Yeah. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.